0: An intruder broke into Speaker Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home, shouting, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? And then attacked Paul Pelosi, her 82-year-old husband, with a hammer. The suspect is in custody. Paul Pelosi is in the hospital. And both sides of the political aisle are in their respective corners waiting to politicize this. And politicize the lives of our politicians we must. For example, Hunter Biden is a recovering crack addict. The president should be demanding that every addict gets the excellent care that his son received, but Joe Biden isn't doing that. Hunter's addiction, therefore, is political. In June, the Supreme Court made abortion illegal for poor women. Ivanka Trump, whose father appointed the three judges who made overturning Roe possible, had at least one abortion in high school, according to several friends. Ivanka, like Herschel Walker, insists she's unapologetically pro-life. Her abortion, and the ones Herschel Walker paid for, are the height of hypocrisy and therefore political. On June 14, 2017, Representative Steve Scalise, he's a Republican from Louisiana, he's also the GOP House whip, Steve Scalise almost bled to death after a mass shooter fired 100 rounds into lawmakers practicing for a charity baseball game. Five years later, Scalise has lost a little mobility, but not his A-plus rating from the National Rifle Association. His shooting, therefore, was political. After protesters appeared outside Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home earlier this year, Speaker Pelosi rushed into law the Supreme Court Security Funding Act of 2022 to provide more protection for all Supreme Court justices. The Supreme Court failed to return the favor to American taxpayers when immediately afterwards it ruled state governments like New York cannot prohibit the public from carrying firearms for quote-unquote self-defense. They're protected, we're not. The Supreme Court's safety and the public's lack of safety, therefore, is political. Like I said, what happened to Paul Pelosi today was political. Plenty more will come out. And right now, all I know is police report that both the intruder and Pelosi had hammers. The intruder reportedly grabbed Pelosi's hammer and attacked him with it. The intruder reportedly was trying to tie Paul Pelosi up and wait for Nancy to come home. There are also reports that the intruder might have posted right-wing conspiracy theories about January 6th and a stolen election in 2020 on his social media. I don't particularly approve of Paul Pelosi, his wife, or their kids, but I pray he survives. I really do pray he's okay, and I also hope the Democrats keep the House. But if the Democrats lose the House, it will be because they never learn from the past, like January 6th, for example. After January 6th, the first thing Nancy Pelosi should make certain of is the House is secure, her house and the people's house. Once again, where was the security detail? It hasn't even been two years since they broke into Nancy's office looking to kill her. It's inexcusable that someone could now break into her home with the same intent. How did somebody get into the Speaker's home? Granted, her security detail is in Washington, D.C., with her right now, but the Pelosi's have several properties, and her husband was in one of them. I would imagine a couple worth anywhere between 100 to $200 million could spring for a few armed guards. Assuming today's police reports are all true— This is like January 6. Today's attack leaves little doubt that at least one of those insurrectionists who broke into the Speaker's office on January 6, smashing windows and breaking furniture, would have done to Nancy that day what was done to her husband. Not all those Trump supporters that day would have hanged Mike Pence or pummeled Nancy Pelosi. But all it takes is one. Political violence in San Francisco is nothing new. Senator Diane Feinstein became San Francisco's mayor in 1978 after Supervisor Dan White assassinated Mayor George Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk. Because of that, San Francisco has some of America's strictest gun laws. Concealed carry permits, as well as most semi-automatic weapons, are almost impossible to get in San Francisco. Ammo buys require background checks. Nancy Pelosi's husband is alive today because the San Francisco intruder can only get his hands on a hammer. Gun laws save lives. Naturally, the National Rifle Association will use today as an example of why guns are not the cause of America's violence. They are liars. No elementary school buried 20 kids after a troubled loner got his hands on a ball peen hammer. Only one side needs to tone down the rhetoric, and that side is the GOP. Words like elections have consequences. Violent rhetoric breeds violence because all it takes is just one person to think they're talking to me. Why has the language turned so vitriolic in Washington? Well, in this country, voting isn't mandatory, so politicians must fire up their base to get them to the polls. Americans must be made angry or afraid in order to vote. But Republican rhetoric is dangerously over the top and leads to things like January 6 and today's attack on Paul Pelosi. Republicans demonize because they offer no solutions. They campaign using anger and fear, and when given the chance, they govern using anger and fear. Governor Ron DeSantis, for example, has made life worse in Florida by neglecting the needs of real voters. He governs by stoking anger and fear to deflect his incompetence onto migrants, minorities illegally voting, and of course, Joe Biden. Republican voters are becoming dangerous because they are fed a steady diet of lies. Lies like Joe Biden is a dictator planning to mutilate your child's genitalia. This special blend of ultra-right Christian nationalism infecting the GOP reduces complicated issues down to good versus evil, which is why it's not uncommon to hear preachers, politicians, and pundits opine that Nancy Pelosi is Satan. And that's why Paul Pelosi is in the ICU tonight. Republicans have cultivated an undereducated, mentally unbalanced electorate. They need to dial back their anti-government, anti-democratic party rhetoric because it threatens the physical safety of our politicians and their families. The Republican voter is easily manipulated because we do not treat mental health in America. We medicate it. There is unresolved trauma simmering underneath the surface. And when it bubbles up, Americans find refuge in a GOP that celebrates anger, bullying and violence. This Republican Party signals to every toxic man and woman who lack the vocabulary to articulate why they feel so angry and alone that there's a place for them where we can all be angry together, and that would be the Republican Party. Republicans tell these sick and undereducated voters, what's the point of a First Amendment if you can't trash transgender children on Twitter? What's the point of a Second Amendment if you can't walk to the corner grocery carrying an AR-15? I don't like Paul Pelosi, but I pray he survives. Today, he, like our republic, is a victim of a Republican Party ruled by blind rage. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden are mediocrities. We have to get rid of them. But first, let's keep the republic. And that's political. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack, Howie Klein. He writes, Down with Tyranny. Everybody should go to Down with Tyranny each day. We have some good news in Nevada. You're writing that we may be able to keep Catherine Masto's seat?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it would be very unlikely that Adam Laxalt would take that seat. I never really thought he would. But a new polling from uh, from a fairly decent... Uh, Firm, uh, OH. People think they're an Ohio firm. They're not. They're an Arizona firm, which is right, (laughs) right next door to Nevada. And they do they do a good job. Anyway, they show the Democrats sweeping every single uh, statewide office. So yes, the Senate, uh, she's ahead by two points. The governor, uh, the incumbent governor, is ahead uh, by four points. The Attorney General, it's an open seat. He's ahead by a lot of points. Uh, the Secretary of State. Now he, that was a dangerous one because he's running against a not just a complete maga loon Jim Marchand, but Marchand also organized all the other crazy people who are running um, for Secretary of State around the around the whole country. He organized them to you know literally steal elections. Right. So he's going to lose. And I don't know if you remember Michelle Fiore. Do you remember does that name? Ring a bell? No. She was a lunatic. Who ran? Who's been running for office forever? She managed to get into the state legislature, but she, you know, she, I think she ran against uh, Harry Reid one time. She, she, she ran for governor. She ran for Congress. She runs. She runs for everything. And she's—I uh, described her as a dangerous mental case, which she is. But oh, she's yes, also yes, a yes yes, uh, yes, 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 yes.
0: She's yes, she's a liar. I saw her at the MAGA rally. Yes, she's
1: go ahead. Definitely a. But she was the first one, so she has a little originality to send out a Christmas card of everyone in her family holding some kind of an automatic weapon, including the, the little children. So, and every all the other Republicans have now followed that. And if you want to be a part of the Republican Party, you have to send out a Christmas card with your family all holding guns. So, but she was the. First. In any case, she's losing. Uh, she's running for the, for the Senate now. She's got 25 uh, percent of the vote.
0: She, she's running for treasurer. You mean?
1: And I mean treasurer. yes. Yeah, she's yeah. running for the treasurer. Right. Good. She would have run, but another lunatic stepped in before she could. And, Adam Laxalt.
0: Right. And do you know who Adam Laxalt's father is?
1: Yes, of course. Adam La- Adam Laxalt's father was in the was in the um, the Godfather as uh, a uh, a corrupt piece of shit U.S. senator. Did you I bet you didn't know that did you
0: Senator Geary
1: the yes, guy. that's right
0: but wait 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 you, you may not know the Adam real- Lack, father no his his real father is Pete Domenici do I do, am I actually telling you something that you
1: don't know well what do you mean by real did Pete Minute she raped his mother, or something. He has a real father named Laxalt,
0: right? But uh, Paul Laxalt, the senator, is his grandfather.
1: His oh, the grandfather. Oh, sorry. Okay. But got that wrong.
0: His mother had an affair with Pete Domenici, the senator from the Republican from New Mexico, and New
1: Mexico, Adam, yes.
0: Adam Laxalt is born out of popped well,
1: out. He popped out. Now, how do we know that? Do they admit that?
0: Yes, they finally, uh, Pete Domenici finally admitted the paternity. And Adam Laxalt, the big family values Republican, is a... Bastard. I I, I didn't want to call him a bastard, but I think if you are the product of an adulterous affair and you're a Republican who wants to cut funding for food stamps, you're a bastard. I think that qualifies you as a... As a as a bastard. Wait a second. So I gave you in in the ten years that we've been doing this, I gave you some gossip.
1: <laughs> you did.
0: <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. Something new. So that's that's good news coming out of Nevada. You sound upbeat in terms of what? What are you what are you seeing nationwide now?
1: Well, what I try to. Ex- explain uh several times on various posts uh, over the last couple of weeks is that it doesn't really matter the na- the nationwide numbers don't matter and i'm going to try to explain why it's, it's not easy for me to, ex- to explain it in a way that people will understand it but let's start with alabama okay so alabama uh has i think five republican seats and one democratic seat it's it's it's, it's set they gerrymandered the state so that you know little tentacles reach out to every African American neighborhood in the, in the in the state and so they all they're all in one district and that's a that's a heavily democratic district the all of the other districts you know, you're not allowed in unless you're white they're all white districts they're rural white districts so the, all of those districts are republican now if those districts were republican by say 60% so 60% republican 40% democrat they would it would show up as very strongly on the polling as uh, Republican, and that's that's a big deal. But suppose they went up to 70%, which they have. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. That means that the Republicans nationally in that state are going to influence the aggregate uh, for the generic uh, polling. And that's what's happening. And it's happening in a lot of... Not just Alabama, but it's happening in all the red states. They're all getting motivated and they're going nuts. Whereas in the Democratic states, I don't see it as much. You know, there's it's not a change, uh, and but the changes in the Republican states. So what are we see? What we're seeing is national numbers that are reflecting uh, this kind of uh, action, and and the and and the, the numbers are going up. Now, why is that not that important? And that's because in the individual swing districts in all over the country, the Democrats are very, very much holding their own. And and I can't believe that the, the, the pollsters aren't bringing that up. I don't know why they're not bringing it up, but they're not. Some of the pollsters and the prognosticate not the prognosticators, but the pollsters are giving those giving those numbers. I mean, I'm getting my I'm not going out polling. I'm getting my numbers from various polls, including 538, uh, which aggregate. Polls. And what I'm seeing is that the, the Democrats in tough swing districts, I'm not saying they're going to win every one of them, but they're not going to lose every one of them either. They're doing quite well, uh, better than I thought they would. Like, just as a, I'll just give an example. In New Mexico, there's one Republican district. It, it, it got a little f- more friendly towards Democrats this cycle, but there is a Republican congresswoman named Yvette Herrell, uh, a MAGA idiot. And and no one thought that, that the Democrat running against her had any shot. Well, guess what? There was a poll that came out a few days ago that showed him winning. And, you know, people said, oh, it's an outlier. It doesn't mean anything. Another poll came out today from a completely different source, nothing to do with the first one, showing him winning. Now, it's not a landslide. It's a very close race. But this is, you know, this is, this, this is a big deal. For a Democrat in a so called Republican wave election, for a Democrat to oust a Republican incumbent, that's, a, that's huge. Of course. Yeah. And, there's, it, and that's just one example that just popped in my head. There are several all around the country where that's happening. Uh, so uh, I, that's why I'm upbeat. I, and I'm, uh, you know, some people tell me that I'm uh, being a polyander about this and that I'm uh, you know, delusional, but we'll see on, on election day. Uh, well, you, if you've I'm delusional been, or not.
0: The, the only time you've been wrong was with Trump in 2016, but everybody was. In other words, the generic congressional poll, when you poll me, I you know, Jerry Navler's my congressperson. So am I enthusiastic? Yeah, I'm going to show up and do my patriotic duty. I don't think there are too many... People in my district who can't wait to go vote for Jerry Nadler. But if I were living in this swing, st- right, uh, there
1: are, there actually are on the way on the upper west side of Manhattan, uh, that part of the district, they're very, very enthusiastic about Jerry. They feel he's been their guy. Uh, and I'm not saying everyone feels that way, but there's a very significant number of people. Remember, he just kicked Carolyn Maloney's ass in that right. new, in the new district. But, the, uh, but uh, what
0: with- I understand you saying is. Somebody who lives in a swing district where their vote really counts and they're pro abortion, they're going to turn out and vote this time like their life depends on it.
1: That's right. That's just that's, another example I'll give you. Uh, Sharice Davids, the Republicans in the legislature, in the Kansas legislature, redrew her district so that she would lose. I mean, she's a Democrat, she's a conservative Democrat, but she is a Democrat, and uh, uh, you know, they they give her they just gave her a district that that they said she will she won't win. And the Republicans are very excited. The national Republicans they here they figure they'll get rid of her. Well, guess what? Every poll shows her winning. Every poll.
0: Kansas, of all places. In in Congress, how good a job has Maloney done? He's head of the DCCC. You've talked about delighting in the fact that he may lose his own seat. How good a job. Yes, well,
1: let's hope he loses his own seat. He's really terrible. He's done a, an absolutely horrendous job as DCCC chair. He's also done a horrible job as a representative. And because the district south of his got a little bit more blue than his district, he just grabbed that district. He kicked Mondaire Jones, who's one of the best new members of Congress, kicked him out of his own district, so Mondaire Jones has no district now, and uh, and Maloney moved into that district. Well, guess what's happening? Maloney, is po- is, who's spending ungodly amounts of money, both his own and uh, institutional money, he's losing to a guy who has no money, and, and the district that he jumped out of is going Democrat, so what which he's he's um, he deserves to lose some Democrats just deserve to lose. He's one of them. <laughs> what he loses. I really, really hope to lose.
0: Tuesday night, which races, which congressional races will you be uh, paying special attention to? I would assume Maloney and Angelica Duenas in Los Angeles.
1: Well, sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been doing – yes, and Angelica I'll definitely pay, be paying attention to, but that's not of, you know, gigantic national import. People aren't going to be thinking about that district because it's a Democrat versus Democrat district. Now, the Democrat she's running against happens to be uh, very corrupt, happens to be conservative, and happens to be a child rapist. But other than that, you know, it's still a Democrat. People, people don't care. Uh, you know, Angelica, of course, is a progressive. She's a friend, and I want to see her win, of course. So, you know, I'll be watching that. But the nation- nationally, that's not going to be on anyone's radar except mine. So, the, but nationally, what, I, what I've said is there are a few races that are, you know, hanging by a thread. Either the Democrat is a couple of points, not a couple of points, a couple of fractions of a point leading or the Democrat is behind by a fraction of a point. So those are the races that I think are the most important races now. And the reason I keep writing about them is because people need to donate to those people. These are races, you know, there were races in 2020 that lost by like just a handful of votes. One lost by, I think it was either six or eight votes. Now imagine you could have, if you would have helped that person at the last minute The Democrat, maybe he or she wouldn't have lost by six votes. Six votes! Right. Six! That's (laughs) 60. Not 6,000. Six! I mean, sometimes a last minute donation that goes right into uh, a program that, you know, usually a get out the vote program. That really, really matters. So, but not it doesn't matter to someone who's leading by ten points. It doesn't matter to someone who's losing by ten points. It matters in the really, really close races. In my in my uh, blogs, I've been writing about the 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 Democrats who are very, very progressive, who are you know right on the border, like for example. uh, this woman who's running in Texas 15, again, where the Republicans drew the seat. They they redrew the district in, to make it easy for a Republican to win. And, and then the DCCC abandoned her, just absolutely said, Gah, here's $95. Now, when I say here's $95, I'm not joking and I'm not exaggerating. That's what the DCCC gave. To Michelle Vallejo, ninety-five dollars, whereas Kevin McCarthy's Super PAC and and the the Democratic the Republican version of the DCCC are spending millions to help uh, a Trump fanatic. And the Democrats don't want her. They, they don't even they don't want her in Congress. They don't care about that district. Why? Because she's a progressive. Bernie was out out in her district this weekend campaigning for her, but. Maloney doesn't want her. Why doesn't Maloney want, not want her? Because his, he thinks the person who's going to be his boss, Hakeem Jeffries, doesn't want her. And why does Hakeem Jeffries not want her? Because Hakeem Jeffries despises with every inch of his body progressives. Hakeem Jeffries is the worst thing that's going to happen to the Democratic Party. They're about to elect him, um, uh, the leader, and he, he will destroy the party. And I have like a, a, a thing about that where I'm thinking maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe we need Hakeem Jeffries to destroy the party so that um, a progressive party come out of the ashes. And in any case, it's Hakeem Jeffries plus Mark Melman, who is the guy who does all of the, uh, uh, the political work for APAC. Plus, he's got his own uh, PAC called the Democrats, Democratic Majority for Israel. They spent about half a million dollars trying to defeat Michelle in the, um, in the primary. They failed. And and now they're carrying on uh, with Hakeem to not help her. So they're not helping her. $95 is not help. That's not help at all. Right. Uh, and yet, yet, Michelle is ahead by 0.7 points. There is a race that you want to put money into. She's ahead. Let's help her take it over the finish line. This is a, this is going to be a great member of Congress, right. unlike uh, Sean Maloney where democratic institutions are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and then the, the, the third person who needs some, but did I even give a, did I give a first one? It <laughs> was Michelle. The first one I mentioned yes. another person who, needs, who's very, very close is in Oregon. Uh, and, and it's it, again, and it's a fraction of a point. She's behind by a fraction of a point. And that is Jamie McLeod Skinner. Jamie McGrath Skinner. She's. it's not even one point. It's just a fraction of a point down. She's, uh, the, the DCCC is helping her a little bit, but nothing like compared to what the Republicans are, are doing with her Trumpist uh, opponent. So there, there, there are two. I think the third one that I would recommend to people is in Pennsylvania, where um, it, it's the Connell Lamb seat which is just west of Pittsburgh. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of favorable, a little bit more favorable for Democrats this cycle than it was when Conor Lamb was elected. And we have a really good uh, progressive running, Chris Deluzio, and a, and a crazy Republican Trumpist who's opposing him. And Chris is ahead. He's ahead by about a point, depending on which poll you look at. But all the polls kind of agree he's ahead very, very narrow, narrowly. He's running against a multimillionaire who every Friday he puts another million dollars in the race. I mean, th- this guy can spend whatever he wants on this race, and he keeps doing it. Uh, the funny thing is he's not raising much money except his own, uh, whereas Chris is, is raising some good money. But this Republican has unlimited funds. He can spend as much as he wants, and he is. Uh, but Chris is still ahead. So that's another race that's worth uh, worth putting some money into. Chris is raising all of his money from small donors. And that's the reason that he's beating this multimillionaire Republican in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania's 17th district. So if you're going to give to three people, those are three good people to give to.
0: Go to the blue um, America pack right now, go to the blue America pack and donate. Give the three names one more
1: time, please. Jamie McLeod Skinner in Oregon. Uh, Chris Deluzio in uh, in Pennsylvania, and then our Texas candidate uh, that, that I, that I uh, was recommending is Michelle Vallejo. Right. Um, and, I, and if you go to uh, Down with Tyranny, I did a, a, a more extensive explanation of her race today. Uh, so you could just go there and you could read about her, and then you could donate right from the page. That's the way to do it.
0: Who moves the needle, objectively speaking, don't be biased here, when you send Nancy Pelosi out, Chuck Schumer, Bernie, AOC, Obama—I've been watching Obama in Wisconsin and Georgia—who moves the needle when they bring out the big guns at this time of year?
1: Well, um, Pelosi can't can't uh, go anywhere and, and do any kind of because uh, she's do any kind of pub- Right, she can go into like a, you know, she goes into uh, rich people's homes and does fundraising events, and she raises a lot of money. So, so that's why people want her, but they don't put her out publicly. They don't, you know, like for example, Bernie dinner in this weekend. Bernie was in Texas. He was in other places too, but he was in, in Texas. I believe on Sunday, yesterday, I believe. Yes. And he went to Austin and he went to uh, McAllen. McAllen, he went there for Michelle Vallejo, the woman I've just been talking about, and he did a big public rally. And that, I believe, will move the needle in terms of getting younger people out to vote, also uh, that is a very Hispanic district, uh, and they love T. O. Bernie in those in those districts uh, like that. And it's on, it's on the Rio Grande; he does very very well there. And he he will bring out more voters. He you know gave a re- very very impassioned uh, speech. I, I I watched it on YouTube. It was very 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 good. And uh, but in terms of these other these establishment people that we're talking about, they don't do anything. There's no they, Obama, they can't do a thing. Do Obama, know, I have. Right, to I'll, I'll, Obama, Obama was a, um, amazing. I'm sorry, yes. Also Michelle Obama. Both of the Obamas are very good. But but I've talked on, on with you many, many times over the last couple of years about the best political uh, publicist in the country. Do you, do you recall that?
0: Uh,
1: you have, anyway, she works for uh, Mayo Pete, Pete Buttigieg. And she can get anything, thing in the media. She is the best of the best. She's unbelievable. And she planted a story, which is absurd, in the media that the number one most requested uh, surrogate to come and campaign is is Pete. Pete Buttigieg is number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that is that even conceivable that anyone can believe that nonsense? That right. someone wants Pete Buttigieg to come? Who gives a, sh- a hell <laughs> about Pete Buttigieg? I mean, and she's saying this at this, on the same day that Obama is running around the country, getting people like you know insane, right. <laughs> like just absolutely screaming and loving him so much. I mean, Obama going to these states and talking in the states. What I'm afraid it does is it makes people so sorry that Biden is president. <laughs> I mean, everyone is watching Obama. See, we want him. He's the right. one we want. <laughs> right. He was. You know. You know. I'm not the biggest Obama fan in the world. But you have to give credit where credit is due. He's a great speaker. Really great.
0: Yes. And getting better and better. And, you know, a wasted opportunity. Somebody who can articulate the needs of the working class so well should follow through and appear with Christian Smalls at the Amazon Labor Union. I mean, it would be great if he were a union organizer. Bernie does. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, but uh, Hillary... Nobody, nobody
1: wants Hillary, right? No, it's poison. No one wants Hillary. No one wants—I don't think people want Bill Clinton either. Maybe they do in, in the South. I don't know. But, uh, but they very, very much want Bernie, and they very, very much, even more, want the Obamas. Uh, and I don't think they want Mayo Pete. And, you know, some people really do actually want and feel it'll help them to have Biden— but other people are saying, no, we don't want Biden in our state. We don't want Biden in our district. We don't want Biden in the newspapers. Uh, keep him away. But, you know, like I said, there was, there are places all around the country that very much want Biden, where the candidates want him. He's, he's, he is someone who, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've seen him doing his stump speeches, it's and that, it's kind of sad.
0: Well, it's not as horrible as one would expect. What about Doug Emoff and uh, the vice president? Do people want her? Stop no. <laughs> There's no groundswell no. for the vice president whatsoever.
1: Uh, no, people don't want her coming around. What does she have to offer? What does she have to offer anybody? No, no one wants her. You know, there are, I believe that people who don't know yet uh, what he is want um, uh, the governor of California, Newsom. Right. Uh, you know he's he's a uh, you know attractive guy. He can make a good speech. Kind of he's not really Obama, but he can still make a good speech that um, gets people worked up. He, he does They don't know. I mean, he speaks like a progressive, and he's a neoliberal. But people outside of California don't know he's a neoliberal, and half the people in California don't know he's a neoliberal, but that's what he is. He, he, but he gives a good, speech, and people do want him. Right. Uh, but you know, our people are are doing the best they can to get Obama, uh, and Bernie. Those are the ones, even Elizabeth Warren. I, I haven't seen, her. she goes, she is on the road and she is going out and talking for candidates, but I don't see any real excitement around her, which I'm sorry to say, I, I would love to see that, you know, I talked uh, with a couple of uh, members of Congress who have been telling me about their experiences uh, going out on the road and, and why it's important and what, what they can do. So one of them is Ted Lieu, and Ted is on the road. I think today he's in, uh, I, I think today he's in Miami uh, working um, for Annette Tadeo, the Democratic candidate in Miami. And, and what, Ted, and there's a few things that Ted can do. Progressives know he's good. So he can draw progressives to an event and also Asian Americans love him. And he draws Asian Americans to an event and he's not doing like, you know, mega rallies, but he does targeted rallies, uh, that work. And, and he's, he's liking doing it. And, you know, he doesn't like being away from his family. He, he'd much rather be with, with his, you know, young uh, children who were grow, still growing up. But he he feels that it is important to do, and he's doing it. And there's really nothing in it for him. He's doing it because he he really believes he's you know he's not doing it for every well he is I shouldn't say he's not doing it for every Democrat. He is. <laughs> he's doing it for like the good ones and the bad ones. Although I think he prefers to do it for the. He prefer, from what I'm hearing between the lines, he very much prefers to do them for the progressives and um, and not so much for the conservatives. But he's doing it for the conservatives as well. He's doing it for all the Democrats who ask him. Right. The other one talked to about it is giving me a very very similar story, and that's Adam Schiff. Adam is a very big draw. People know him from TV, and that's what means mean something in America. They they've seen him, you know, <laughs> trying to impeach uh, Trump. Right. And, uh, and, and people like him, and he's a celebrity. And, and so he draws people, and he brings in a ton of money. I mean a ton. He is bringing in – Ted does as well. But the two of those guys from L.A. are bringing in a ton of money, not for themselves, but for Democrats running for Congress, for some in, incumbents who need help, and for also challengers. Uh, they're both doing a really good job.
0: Can you spare five more minutes because we're running long tonight? Can you give me five more minutes? Sure. Okay. so we've covered the House right now. Before we turn to the Senate and the governor races that I'm interested in, what do you think going in? We're going to be a week out now. What is your gut telling you about the House tonight? Do the Democrats keep the House?
1: I think it's going to be very, very close. If the Democrats keep the House, it'll just be by a a very, very small handful of seats, just like they have it now, just a tiny handful. And if the Republicans win the House, again, it'll be just a small handful of seats. A small handful of seats for um, Nancy Pelosi is no problem. She knows how to work with that. We've seen it. She knows how to do it. A small handful of seats for kevin mccarthy or for hakeem jeffries on the democratic side if he if she leaves now i i, I think i told you last week that I, I had a scoop and that she is leaving right
0: she is leaving yes didn't i didn't i yes. that she's, she's going to go to
1: the, into, she's
0: going to go to the vatican right
1: no italy not the vatican oh, okay. she's going to be the ambassador to italy. i mean the vatican is would be a little bit below her okay um you know you send you know you send newt gingrich's wife to be the That's ambassador right. to the vatican None. Right.
0: and she gives tips on how to blow people underneath the table
1: i'm sure the vatican. right so so i believe that nancy would lose however it would, would, would go there however if the democrats win the house again there may be an an upswell of demands from the 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 democrats in the house that nancy stay i think if that happens she'll stay but but i don't what do i know i don't talk to her 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 people used to talk to me and they stopped so i don't have any any i don't have any connection to her office anymore uh so before and very very quickly to the jeffries won't control a uh a, 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 a democratic caucus with just a, a small number of votes he can't do it and and kevin mccarthy will be a complete pawn of marjorie taylor green if they ha- if they have less than a, a 10 vote um majority you, you they might as well just elect uh marjorie taylor green to be the uh, the speaker because she will be running the show
0: amazing that would be amazing she really has that much political capital.
1: Absolutely. She is the most extreme and loudest. And everyone either, they either love her or they're afraid of her.
0: Politically or physically? (laughs) Politically. Okay. Incredible. Incredible. And rumors about Trump becoming Speaker if they get the
1: House, that's out of the question. Yes, I I think that 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 I mean, who knows? I mean, God only knows. I know that he'll be nominated. I know that uh, unless he tells Gates not, not to, Gates said he will nominate Trump.
0: Amazing. The Senate, what is your, what, a week out, what is your sense on the Senate?
1: Uh, I, you know, I was thinking the Democrats were going to make some real gains uh, in the Senate. And, but now, it's again, it's going to be so close. I think the Democrats will come out ahead but not by not by much, you know, I think I think that, I think that they'll, they'll I don't think any Democratic um, incumbents are going to lose. And, and I, I think that they might wind up picking up uh, one, one, maybe two seats at the maximum.
0: You don't think you don't think the Democrats are going to lose Arizona, uh, Nevada, no. New Hampshire. What about no. uh, Herschel Walker? But those are
1: the. I, I think that Herschel Walker is, is going to lose. I'm, not, I'm on a limb here, but I, I do believe that in the end, there aren't gonna be, people are just going to say, "I can't do it. I just can't do it." It's one thing right. to tell a pollster, but it's another thing to pull the ballast of the psychopath. Right.
0: Right. Carrie Lake in Arizona.
1: You know I don't see any polls showing her losing. I think she's got it i, I I'm trying to get into the heads of, of the voters there, and from what I'm reading is that what they they're going to do a trade off they're going to take her and defeat all of the uh, the Republicans who are running for statewide office so you know everyone was very very scared that that crazy um, Fincham, who's running for Secretary of State was going to win he, he's not he's Quite down. The Democrats are going to win there. And I think all, basically, and also the attorney general, I think the, the Democrats are going to win all the seats, all the statewide seats, except for a governor. It's a shame, but, you know, that's how we was stuck with that.
0: Okay. I didn't have time to ask you about Bolsonaro.
1: Though, Go ahead. It'll be interesting, though, is if she wins, which I think she will, the, the gubernatorial race, and then all the other Republicans lose, and they're all a bunch of radical MAGA uh, folks. Are they going to start screaming about the election was stolen and rigged? I mean, how 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 <laughs> how do they how do they figure that out? When I mean, right. she's the most radical yeah. lunatic who's running for governor anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's well. I I, I, I I'm I'm uh, snubbing uh, Pennsylvania
0: and uh, uh, Charlie Chris's opponent. I thought Chris did good. Charlie Crist did good debating around DeSantis, but nothing in the polls shows that, right?
1: Oh, that, that even Charlie Crist, uh, I think I told you this already, uh, told a uh, a friend of mine that uh, he's not even going to get within 10 points in the, in the end. He'll, he'll be he'll be lucky if he gets to just 10 points below uh, DeSantis. You write about balls. He isn't really running right now. It, with the expectation of becoming governor, what he's doing is trying to build up some kind of credibility so that he could run against Rick Scott in two years.
0: Before you go, Bolsonaro, you write about him over Down with Tyranny. I saw that Steve. He's bet-
1: gonna, well, I will bet anybody see anything he will lose. He, he's
0: and will he concede?
1: I, I don't know if he'll concede or not, but even if he whether he concedes or not, he's moving out. He's moving out of the Albert. He's of the White House. Okay.
0: And finally, there are no there are no truths to any of these rumors about Paul Pelosi that Dinesh D'Souza is spreading, <laughs> and the other guy Clay Higgins from
1: Clay Higgins. The, the, Higgins is very very embarrassed. He took down the tweet. Oh, he did, and he can't. Oh, yes, he took it down. He can't show his face anywhere. Then you've got also tweeting craziness is uh, the owner of of Twitter. Yeah. And he took took his crazy tweet down
0: also. There's no truth to any of that stuff, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Zero. Are you wishing there were? No. Okay. No. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC, and he writes over Down With Tyranny. Read him Over Down With Tyranny and donate to those candidates. Once again, give us the names of the three candidates who could use your money and will make good use of it.
1: Michelle Vallejo in Texas. Jamie McLeod Skinner in Oregon and Chris Deluzio in Pennsylvania. Let's give them a boost, please.
0: Yes. Follow Howie on Twitter at DownWithTyranny. Thank you, Howie.
1: Thanks, David. Talk to you in a couple of days.
0: You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump.
2: If You can get Selena Fox on, who's a long, long time friend of mine and really one of the great leaders in the Wiccan and pagan communities in the United States and indeed around the world. Selena, good to see you here.
3: Wonderful to be here.
2: Wonderful. It's good. To, you know, I haven't seen you, I think, since, um, well, maybe my retirement Event Yes. You, where you uh-huh. came all the way. You were the founder of, of uh, Circle Sanctuary. And I'd like people to get a sense of what Circle Sanctuary is. And then we'll talk about the continuing civil rights violations directed at the Wiccan community in this country. But tell us a little about Circle Sanctuary. Why was it important to set it up? And what does it do now?
3: Well today is actually Circle Sanctuary's birthday. It started in late October of 1974 and in 1978 we took the steps to get incorporated as a non religious organization. I uh, really thought it was important to have a institution that brought together people not only who are Wiccan practitioners, but people of other pagan paths, druids and heathens and animists and panentheists and my church is in the woods. is. <laughs> <laughs> and so since 1974, we have been bringing people together of many different Places and paths, and this was all before the internet was a thing. Mm -hmm. So in our early days, we would make contact, not only face-to-face, but through postal mail and through publications. (laughs) And part of why Circle Sanctuary was founded was to be a place that would connect people not only with each other, but with the sacred and with nature. And nature religions don't always get mentioned or even invited to mm-hmm. interreligious mm-hmm. events. That has gotten better in the last 20 years. Um, And part of that is not as much is known about peoples whose religion is rooted in nature. But in more recent decades, and part of that has come as a result of religious freedom battles we have fought, uh, more people are aware that not only we exist, but we deserve the same rights as people of many different beliefs, as well as those with no belief. At all. So Circle Sanctuary serves Wiccans and Druids and Heathens and Pagans of many paths, not only across the U.S., but around the world. And part of Circle Sanctuary is our civil rights and religious freedom work for nature religion practitioners, the Lady Liberty League.
2: Absolutely. You know, let me tell you, I, I was not, frankly, aware. Of the size and scope and significance of the Wiccan community until one day I had a serious uh, toothache and I decided I I had to leave my job I was working at the ACLU at the time and I, I just I had to go find a dentist and right before I was walking out the door one of the receptionists said there's a woman from Senator Bob Packwood's office she said it's terribly important that we, She talked to you. And basically this woman said, I think my boss made a mistake. And I said, well, what was it? And she said, well, Senator Jesse Helms uh, just asked for uh, a unanimous consent to include in a, a appropriations bill a section that said no – expenditure of funds shall be permitted for the Internal Revenue Service to grant or maintain tax exemption for people who promote witchcraft. Well, you know, I I had to get to the dentist, but there were pay phones at the time, and I called the United Press International, which at the time was a real a combative alternative to the Associated Press. And I just said, I told a guy, and I know this guy, I said, just look this up, it's true. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I think it's outrageous for any organization, any government in the United States to grant a tax exemption to a group of people, but then say, accept... Well, There was a hurricane that day, too. I came in the next day, and prior to voicemail and prior to the Internet, uh, I walked in and there were a stack this high of pink message slips. Many people don't even remember them. While you were out, and I was sorting through them, I never heard of any of the people. And I started to call them, and they all were Wiccans and they all wanted some assistance. And that's, in fact, how I met you and how I met Laurie Cabot, who is, of course, the official witch so designated by Michael Dukakis when he was governor of the state in which I now live. little about the organizing that literally won the day and was a major victory for Wiccans and pagans around the world.
3: I'm so thankful that we were able to connect. I happened to be in Hollywood at the time, speaking at a pagan festival, and someone came um, into the gathering and let us know about the legislation that had just been passed. There was Amendment 705 to the (laughs) Postal Appropriations Act, and You had to pass the Postal Appropriations Act because that ran the post office. And this was before email was a big thing. So I um, got on the phone and, yes, I reached out to you. And then we had... I remember our conversation when you and I converged our schedules and got to speak. And you were all over Capitol Hill uh, trying to uh, do some public education about the Constitution. And you said to me, well, you know, it's really going to take a grassroots movement. Yes. And pretty much what not only myself, but thousands of other people across the U.S. and some other parts of the world, but mostly in America, started contacting their senators and congress people about this amendment to the postal appropriations bill. And it went to a joint conference committee. We had only a few weeks to turn it around. Well, no surprise, <laughs> just in time for Halloween <laughs> exactly. and for the Spiritual New Year, which is Samhain. It looks like it might be pronounced Samhain, but it's actually Samhain or Samhain, and some say it's Gaelic for summer's end. But essentially, a lot of contemporary trick or treat and honoring the dead and ghost stories and all of that have their roots in the Celtic New Year, saying farewell to the old year, welcoming in the new year, paying respects to ancestors, beloved dead. Well, I was very glad for the treat. That we had in time for our Samhain and for the secular multicultural holiday now for people of all ages, known as Halloween, that uh, it made some good headlines that <laughs> the witches were able to keep their tax exempt status for their churches. There really weren't too many Wiccan and pagan churches that had taken the institution route to sure. get tax exempt status, Circle Sanctuary was one of them, and we pretty much did postal mailing and calling people up. I knew we were having an effect, not only from touching base with you, Barry, but uh, it turns out the high priest of a Wiccan church in Georgia was a lobbyist on Capitol Hill, and he was very private about his spiritual orientation, but he outed himself to me. He called the Circle Sanctuary office and said, you know, the buzz on Capitol Hill is Who are these Wiccans? They must be well-organized and well-funded. Well, we weren't well-organized or well-funded, but we were really concerned about standing up for equal rights, not only for ourselves, but for people of all beliefs when it came to government religious accommodation with the tax code. So I am so thankful that we got to
2: connect. Well, one of the things I remember, I... I don't know if it was you or someone else, but some I used to do Phil Donahue's show a lot, and I, we did a section. I, I was not on it, but I know that—were you on that show with Phil? Yes, I was on Donahue back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a hugely important— Television show. There's nothing quite like it now, because he was speaking, and and he used to say this publicly. He was speaking to ladies with blue hair, but that he introduced gay people, atheists, Madeline Murray O'Hare, and of course more traditional, but not well recognized religious groups like Wicca. But uh, it was an amazing. Example of what a group of people who do not represent a vast wealthy system in America can get together and make people do the right thing. And you're right, it, it can. They laughed it out of the conference committee. The House members had gotten so much mail that they literally it came up, people were laughing, and they took it out. Of the bill, so that was a, a tremendous victory. And you know the, there there are plenty of people who think maybe religious groups shouldn't get tax exemption, but once you decide they're going to have it, then certainly from a constitutional standpoint, they can't decide what the theology is and whether it's good or bad. And Jesse Helms, of course, a very, very evil person in so many ways. But um, he, he had, when asked why he did this in the first place, he said, hey, I had just seen how, I just saw a thing on ABC News about Satan worshipers, which he thought Wiccans were Satan worshipers. And that's what prompted him in his ignorance to do this in the first place.
3: Well, he had no idea um, really what we were about and the very fact that the U.S. um, Senate would unanimously pass this by voice vote and send it off to a conference committee. There was um, another Person on Capitol Hill in the House called Walker. There was the Walker bill, which was a version of this. That's right. And this was an era of the so called moral majority, which was not moral and it wasn't a majority. But unfortunately, there were some people, even back then, who were really trying to move. Our country in an unconstitutional direction. And I had really hoped, as a result of so many people becoming public about their spirituality, some people, when they contacted their senators and Congress people, uh, Divulged that they were Wiccan. Others just spoke against the legislation. I was really hoping there'd be better understanding, but 1999 came and there was another elected official on Capitol Hill that tried to make it illegal for Wiccans serving in the US military, in the Army in particular, to be able to practice their religion on US army and other military installations and one of the oldest of the pagan and wiccan circles at a u.s military installation is at fort hood in texas mm-hmm. circle sanctuary is the endorser and the sponsor of that group and have been for a number of years and the very fact if legislation was tried not just once but twice federal legislation to take away the rights of people serving in the U.S. military to practice their religion was just horrific. So we had another opportunity to do some public education and some activism. And there was another whole barrage of people of many different backgrounds, and not just Wiccans and other pagans, but people who were free thinkers and people. People from the Christian community, various denominations, and people from other religions that all protested that as well. And I'm so thankful for all the help that we got yes. with what I've dubbed "Bar Wars because it was representative <laughs> from Georgia, Bob yeah. Barr, right. that launched the war against the Wiccans in the military.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know. He, I don't think he's a relative of Bill Barr, but the two of them together, uh, talk about people who don't get it. Those are two people who didn't want to get it and possibly have never gotten it. But I, uh, yeah, I used to uh, argue with uh, Bob Barr of Georgia routinely on uh, on television shows and radio programs. One of the things that it led to, though, once uh, once uh, Barr—it's <laughs> so hard to remember which is first name—Bob Barr um, was that he had an influence on uh, the commander in chief at the time and president. George Bush. And one of the greatest things I, uh, I did at Americans United was put you folks in touch with our legal department on something called the Pentacle Quest. Can you just kind of summarize what that was all about? Because that seems yes. to me incredibly important.
3: Well, and it seemed like once a decade, we had to go do a major federal battle for our religious rights. And in 1997, the quest to get the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs to add the pinnacle, which is the five-pointed star encircled, one point up, and it's a symbol of earth, air, fire, water, spirit, the circle of life that connects us all together. It's an ancient symbol. Symbol, and it actually has its roots amongst the Pythagoreans in pagan Greece. Well, we wanted that symbol added to the list of emblems that can be included on the gravestones, the memorial markers issued by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs to mark the graves of deceased veterans at public and private cemeteries. So we were we've been supportive of that quest since 1997 and supported the different individuals and groups that made requests. Well, 2005 came along and still there is no pinnacle on the list. Uh, There's the war in Afghanistan, Operation Enduring Freedom. There's the war in Iraq, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Circle Sanctuary has a variety of community members from across the U.S. that are serving in the U.S. military and they were definitely in harm's way Plus, we had a number of people in our community who had served in the U.S. Armed Forces and that were nearing the end of their life. Well, we finally applied ourselves to get the pinnacle on the list and then the VA came up with the, well, we need to revise our procedures again. (laughs) Well, they did later that year, shortly around this time of year, late October, early November. And then one of our longtime members who was a veteran who served in the Korean War, died. And because his widow was willing to make the request to get the pinnacle on the list, we were able to go and apply. Having worked for the federal government in a variety of capacities since my youth, uh, mostly U.S. Department of Agriculture Forest Service, but I've also, I actually worked at the Department of Defense for the Office Chief of Staff of the Army back in late 1960s. Uh, Um, So I knew enough about the federal government that you make sure you get different agencies involved and that you (laughs) make lots of records and keep on it. Well, we finally got our application in under the new arrangements, the new protocols, and they still weren't going to pass it, even though we more than totally met all the things well, a woman named Roberta Stewart had lost her husband in Operation Enduring Freedom. He a Wiccan serving in the U.S. military who actually was a Desert Storm veteran and had um, completed his tour of duty with the U.S. military. And after 9-11, he was one of the many people that went back into military service. Yes. Well, he and crewmates were shot down by enemy fire in September of 2005. By the time 2006 came around, she was finally far enough in her grief processing to really want to have her husband have his memorial plaque on the Wall of Heroes at Fernley um, in the Fernley VA Cemetery. And so she went to the cemetery and said, "Okay, I'm ready to have my plaque go on next to my husband's best friend, Roman Catholic. His plaque is up with his Christian cross. I want the pinnacle on ours." No, can do. She goes, What? And was very upset. And uh, she was part of a large group of people that we were networking with in Nevada. And one of those people, a priestess of one of the Wiccan covens there, said, Talk to Selena. So we talked, <laughs> and she decided, Yes, yeah, she was going to take her story public. And I am so thankful. Yeah. For your help, Barry, your personal help, as well as the help of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, because we did have to work with all three branches of government. (laughs) I went to Washington the first time in March of 2006 and met with the head of the Department um, the VA's um, National Cemetery Administration and it's for Memorial Affairs. So I met with him and it was real clear they weren't gonna do anything. And then we had a big rally that summer on July 4th and you were at that rally, I was at that <laughs> rally and we really called to really right this wrong. And the day after that, we were over at Americans United for separation of church and state headquarters (laughs) with you, Barry, and a number of other people and decided, okay, we're going to take this on and move it through whatever we needed. So we did try Capitol Hill. We tried the executive branch, but ultimately it involved going into the courts where we finally got it on the list on April 23rd, 2007. And I remember the journey to the National Press Club to right. go and announce the victory and was very glad that Roberta and I and you oh. and Richard Katsky and a number of other people were there to really share the success, a major victory, and I can tell you I'm continuing to meet people who were serving in Iraq and Afghanistan at that time who have come up to me as I've traveled around the country and have done some um, online um talks and, and presentations, how they were so thrilled when the news broke, literally the moment it hit the wire services. People in Afghanistan at the U.S. military bases there, as well as Iraq, um, got the word and a number of Wiccan and other pagan military people outed themselves and basically wow. um we're celebrating, and I am so thankful for that journey. But that was quite an adventure, and yes, it kept it was. going on and on and on. And we were um, always looking for some additional ways to expedite this.
2: It was uh, it was an extraordinary time because eventually the Department of Justice told the Veterans Administration, we can't defend this position. And during the discovery that Richard Katsky, who you just mentioned, who is still the legal director of Americans United, um, he came in and he said they've just given up. They're, they're, They're going to grant the request. And it was an extraordinary thing. And we also found out in the discovery process that, the VA thought that the commander in chief, George Bush, who had said bad things about Wiccans before, he would be upset and he might punish them if, you know, he granted this. But it was really extraordinary. I remember the pagan rally the day before you first had a meeting with us. And I always say the two groups of people I had most most engaged with in talking at their conferences or their rallies were Wiccans and librarians. I don't know if there's like a Wiccan caucus within the library world, but I just love speaking to you folks more than just about anybody else. And uh, it did open the, the door for other small religions to get emblems of honor, right?
3: Absolutely. And uh, the same line about, well, we need to change our regulations again and (laughs) our protocols um, was being used. After the Pinnacle Quest was won, but I would say the good news is that ultimately it not only made it possible for all of those families who had been waiting to have the Pinnacle added to the list to get their VA-issued marker for their loved one who had died, it not only benefited them, but for the many faith traditions and beliefs that also wanted to have symbols on the list. It is now a much easier and straightforward process. We did get a second symbol on the list called the Awen, which is a symbol that is used by many contemporary Druids. And we... Um, helped get that through. We did not have to lawyer up.
0: It's no. no, <laughs> basically
3: good. an administrative process. And at Circle Cemetery, which is part of our headquarters, we're at a 200 acre nature preserve in southwestern Wisconsin, about an hour's drive west of Madison. And Um, 20 of those acres is our cemetery. We're actually not only a national pagan cemetery, but we're one of the first green cemeteries in North America. And we now have not only VA markers with pinnacles on it, but Um, A couple years ago, right after the Awen was approved for the list, we also have a marker for a Druid who is also a Wiccan as well, but the Awen is on his marker. And I'm very thankful for all the support that we got, not only from you, Barry, and Americans United, but there were so many people from so many different parts of the political spectrum that came together in that quest. And one of the things that some people find hard to believe in these very politically polarized um, days is that we actually had multi-partisan support. We had Republicans as well as Democrats and people from other political parties that were all supporting this. And in terms of the media sources, we had the spectrum of people across the media. So we not only were able to take this into actual courts, but into the court of public opinion. Absolutely. And a lot of education about the fact that Wiccans and other pagans are part of the religious landscape in the U.S. and around the world. That was good, but that we're willing to stand up for <laughs> our rights. And i am we don't proselytize. We aren't a religion that really says our way is the way for everyone. Uh, We do seek to live in harmony with nature. The Hippocratic Oath and um, do no harm. Actually, we have a version of that, which some people call a version of the golden rule and harm none, (laughs) do what you will. And we do seek to live in harmony with others and to be part of equal opportunity for all. (laughs) So I'm very thankful that we had a happy ending to (laughs) that story. But you know, ever since 1985, when we worked to defeat the Helms Amendment, that's when Lady Liberty League was Mm -hmm. born. And we're continuing to deal with people who are being discriminated against because they're Wiccan, they're Druid, they're heathen some form of contemporary paganism, and there's still a lot of misunderstanding and knowing how much accurate
2: information is on the web as well as in books. You know, it's, well, what is going on? Well, let me ask you, why is it it, when the pentacle symbol was approved, there had already been, there was an atheist symbol and a humanist symbol why was this so controversial? Is it because people were uh, remembering the evil witch from Wizard of Oz or uh, Cackler, the witch that used to be on the back of cereal boxes uh, for years? is it is it because of that or is they are they unable to distinguish between Wiccans healing the health advocacy that most Wiccans engage in, is it, is it that they just think that secretly you're Satan worshipers? Is that part of what's going wrong with the continuing yes. effort by some to deny basic human rights for you?
3: Well, and I do think this whole otherizing, the demonizing, uh, that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And unfortunately, there are some people who actually are getting attention and money for so-called witch hunting and and really – it's, it's disgusting to see that happening. As someone who is descended from some people who fought in the American Revolution, as well as someone who was in the First Continental Congress, I can tell you in my various dealings with the VA, including going to that meeting on <laughs> July 5th, um, I actually took a picture of a painting of my colonial ancestor that yeah. was in the First Congress. And as we were going around the room, um, (laughs) Roberta was with me. I was there. We had somebody from Senator Harry Reid's office there giving us support. We were all basically introducing ourselves, but it was really clear that the people who were the officials were trying to run the meeting and get it over quickly. (laughs) And then I pulled out my picture of James Kenzie (laughs) and basically, mm-hmm. and I said, yes, and I bring my ancestor, James Kinsey, you know, this is July 5th, and we need to have um, liberty for all. <laughs> and, and at that point, their mouths dropped open. And then Roberta, who had desperately wanted to tell her story Absolutely. to these government officials, was able to get a word in edgewise <laughs> and basically uh, give some corrective feedback to their Um, lack of action in getting this done. So I do think it's really important that we keep alive those principles and evolve the principles for equality, equity, um, liberty, justice for people of all. We need to have an inclusive society. We need to find good ways to be with each other. And it's my hope that eventually there won't be a need for the Lady Liberty League because we will not have any more cases to work on but people are continuing to be fired from their jobs um having child custody issues. And a lot of this really is rooted in misinformation that is being put forth and defamation that's happening. So it is important that we stay vigilant just because we have the Constitution and because we supposedly have have these freedoms doesn't mean they're implemented. And I learned that through all of these federal battles. That's Absolutely. Just, because, just because it exists doesn't mean it's going to continue to no, exist.
2: The Constitution is not self-actualizing. In other words, it takes a constant vigilance. And as we learned what precedent might be there for 50 years, Change in the Supreme Court, that freedom is lost. We used to get a call, occasional calls at Americans United about custody battles where people would say, uh, my, my child, uh, she shouldn't be with her husband or the husband say she shouldn't be with my wife because she's in this weird religion. But that's still going on, right?
3: Unfortunately, um, we're still having to deal with those kind of cases. Some um, pagan festivals have been having trouble with the venues and not being able to have equal access to public venues. There, It was a Samhain, or Halloween, for those of you who prefer to call that holiday time that, uh, several years ago, it was pre-pandemic, where a public facility in a small town in Tennessee had been used to having all sorts of religious groups and picnics and rallies and things there. And a Druid group wanted to have a Samhain gathering there, went um, to apply for it, and um, They were going to have it, but then somebody stirred up fear of the devil, um, some kind of monstrous (laughs) evil happening, and we're going to disrupt it. And there was just a lot of drama. Well, Lady Liberty League, uh, not only myself, but other people working with me were able to not only provide some support for the people, for the group, and I actually knew one of the leaders of the group because as I travel around the country and speak at festivals, I get to meet people from a variety of different traditions. In Christianity, there are lots of different denominations. Well, they're called traditions within the larger pagan world. And I I also had some direct contact with the people who are running the local municipality. And the good news is, is that they were able to hold their event as planned. It was not disrupted. And I am so thankful that the little village that where this was happening, did some extra security and made sure that the Druids had the same rights as the people of other religions there.
2: absolutely, uh, There
3: was a case not too long ago about somebody working at a subway whose pagan religion was found out and got fired. Well, that's been uh, back and forth in a court battle. People should not be getting fired because of their religious orientation. And, and these are just a couple examples examples of some of the things that have been happening. Probably the most recent thing that made a lot of headlines involves a festival that happens every summer in New York City. During the pandemic, it went online and They've had one day in person and a couple days online. And I was actually part of the online event last year and this year. Some people went into that gathering and with amplified sound with speakers and were waging a war against the so-called witches and Wiccans and Druids and all the other pagans there. And so we're in process with some New York City officials and some other people trying to sort this out because people have the right to be able to gather and have their speech and and connect. And it's just not right to have a handful of bigots create a problem. And God <laughs> exactly. so we've got to find a good way to move our... Our nation forward and have a better way for us all to be together. But unfortunately, yeah. some people are making way too much money and getting too much social media attention for being bigots. And
2: exactly. Well, you how know, do just, we deal with that? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, just last week, I, I talked about a couple of things. There's a guy who's going to be burning books on Halloween, not just books, but games. And of course, he, he talks about witches and Satanists and like, they, they must be the same. And now he wants uh, people to bring other recordings and other things he doesn't approve of. And there's a mural somewhere in uh, the Midwest where they had a contest to determine who among the students should paint the mural. And a young woman got the chance to do it. She put a few symbols in and the outcry from some of the parents in that school system were amazing, and she was forced to actually remove certain symbols under the theory that she had told them what she wanted to paint, but she didn't say every little thing about what would be presented. So she you know, but, but you can understand, and I'm, I'm sure that this issue comes up because I know it does for all kinds of other uh, children in schools. Um, children and even their parents sometimes don't want to fight back against things that are obviously wrong. And I wish, I wish we could do a better job of convincing parents to stand up with their own children when these kinds of bigoted approaches do occur. I agree. We, um, if you can spend a couple minutes more with us, I I just wanted to ask you a little bit about Halloween. Um, Yeah. Halloween, uh, to what degree does Halloween still represent anything of significance for the pagan and Wiccan communities?
3: Well, I think some of us, obviously, I can't speak for all. There is a lot of diversity amongst contemporary pagans <laughs> and Wiccans and sure. Druids and Evens, whatever. However, um, we see, many of us see Halloween as a particular holiday that has its roots in our Samhain traditions and amongst the Celts. The day would begin at nightfall, so the new year would begin at the time where we're going into the darkest part of the year, mm. and the idea of paying respects to one's beloved dead and ancestors is something quite old, and if you look at what's happening in a temperate zone at this time of year in northern hemisphere, vegetation is dying off. Literally, there's death in the air. And winter is scary for some people. Um, so the, the thing about the idea of really dealing with death and cold and harsh conditions is something very old. So some of the legends, some of the traditions are connected with that. Some say the trick-or-treat custom, actually has its roots in an old tradition. This is some folklore. And we don't have a lot written down about what ancient pagans did at Samhain time. We know there were bonfires and there was an honoring of the dead. Um, But the idea was you would set a place setting at your table and invite your departed loved ones and ancestors to be with you. You Take some of the food and some of the beverage and and have it there as part of your Samhain meal. Sometimes the meal was done in silence, sometimes known as the silent supper, but sometimes it was just a regular supper and you have your ancestors there and you would kindle a light to welcome your um, departed loved ones to be present. The idea is the... The world of the living and the world of the dead, the veil is thin, of course, right? And this was a time where you could make contact. So there's lots of, you know, ghost stories and things that are part of Halloween now that sure. really have its roots there. And the trick-or-treat piece. Well, my thoughts are, if you honored your ancestors and departed loved yeah. ones, you would be blessed. That's right. the treat. If you did not... There might be an opportunity to solve some problems. (laughs) Um, And during the Middle Ages, um, the old Samhain festival became Christianized. All Hallows' Eve actually comes from the Christian name for the festival. And All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day, All Saints' Day being November 1st and All Souls' Day November 2nd, um, was a time for honoring the dead and All Hallows Eve, which became Halloween, was. Um, very much tying into the old and traditions. So as Europe became Christianized, some of the old pagan folkways took on a Christian dimension. Often people would go and do their, their folk practices, their folk sure. religion practices, and then show up at church the next day for the actual feast. And during the Middle Ages, there was going door to door a Solon a song um, where people were getting not only treats, but getting money for the poor. So there is a whole charity yep. piece. Well, now what's happened with Halloween? It's become multicultural, international, multilingual, interreligious. <laughs> it's been a, a – I see it as a secular holiday now, how most sure. people celebrate it. I'm not one for all of the blood and gore. <laughs> There's <laughs> enough of that happening with warfare on the planet exactly. right now. Exactly. <laughs> but <Exactly>. but <laughs> in terms of um, being able to celebrate Halloween and to – to really reflect on the mysterious, to reflect on the hidden sides of life, as well as to prepare ourselves for the coming winter. I'm up here in the northern climes. I grew up in Virginia, but I'm here in Wisconsin now, and it's wonderful to see these traditions continuing to happen. I live in a pretty rural area of Wisconsin, and one of the local county paper has on its front page a list of all the villages and um, where the Halloween trick-or-treating is happening. Exactly. I think we need to have more Halloween fun and celebrate it multi-generationally and actually get rid of the gory stuff and instead celebrate the fun
2: well let me uh we have a question from one of our viewers of named rodrigo let me just read this to you it's a very, very interesting question would you say the attacks on transgender rights are the same playbook that used to be used against white women and minorities hundreds of years ago recently A high school mural got attacked as demonic because images from video games and a Latin American symbol used to uh, protect against the evil eye were included along with a trans pride flag. Why do you think the right is doing less and less research before accusing anything or anybody they don't like of being, quote, of the devil, unquote? What goes on in your mind with these religious right characters? I noticed that uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee today put up a big thing on Facebook about the fear of your kids might end up with fentanyl in their Halloween candy. And you may remember that Pat Robertson once accused the Wiccans of poisoning the candy one, I, I'd say it's probably ten years ago, and uh, it was the, the Wiccans were going to poison your kids' candy. It's like razor blades and apple, except that rarely happened, and this stuff never happens. What goes on well, in your yes. mind when you hear I, this stuff?
3: It's it's really sad that this kind of hatred. It isn't just hate speech. There's hateful behavior as well as the hateful attitudes. And as somebody who has been working for trans rights, and back before it was LGBTQ plus, mm. uh, we called it gay rights <laughs> back That's in right. the 1960s. I, I helped start the first um, gay rights group at the College of William and Mary back in 1969, Mm. it was really important to me that we uphold rights for all. And I continue to be on that quest. In fact, I was at the um, I've been at a number of different events locally and nationally and globally upholding LGBTQ rights. And one of the, I guess, exciting positive things that I can say regarding transgender issues is that increasingly there are interreligious services that are paying respects and including those people who are transgender. And we had our first... Um, Transgender Day of Remembrance Interfaith Service last year in Madison, Wisconsin, that brought people from many different churches, mostly Christian churches, some Jewish synagogue, Circle Sanctuary. We were also involved. And the Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is November 20th every year, um, was started a couple decades ago to really pay respects and to do remembrance of those who were killed Because of being trans. And I do think a lot of this rhetoric that's happening, and I know this is a long response to the question, but I do think it's really coming from a place of othering. And some people have found that it's a way of getting money and attention.
2: Sure.
3: But that's feeding the ego and people who are daring to use the word Christian in connection yeah. with that don't know really what Jesus was about. I was True. raised fundamental as Southern <laughs> Baptist. I continue to connect with people of many different faith traditions. And I know firsthand from having studied the Bible early on in my life <laughs> that uh, Jesus was about love. There was no um, love your neighbor as yourself except if they're trans or except exactly. if they're Wiccan, there is no qualifier put on it. Uh, uh, and I really do think we need the golden rule to get more of a boost Um The Charter for Compassion project that I was among the many people that um, helped with that is really helping to have an international groundswell to bring back the golden rule in its various forms as a guideline for human living. And I really wish that we would get more headlines for all the good things that are happening rather than those who are behaving badly.
2: (laughs) You know – um, we, um, I think it was at the, um, well, let me, let me try to piece together my past. Um, at some point, I think I mentioned it on, on this show, on some XM serious shows, I have been prayed against imprecatory prayers, prayers for the, my death or injury to my family, and from a guy named the Reverend Wiley Drake, which I always think sounds better as a cartoon character, and then some guy in Ohio and the, but I got a note when this got into newspapers from a, a follower of Thor who said he was going to make sure that there was a cover of protection over me to defeat that. And uh, so I'm still here. And uh, so I guess I guess it worked. The other thing, just before we wrap this up, uh, I have twin granddaughters and there's one book that they have that has a very positive view of young Wiccan children and they love the book. And I was just talking to one of them this afternoon about the fact that you were coming on the air and she said, well, but most witches are good, right? And I said, absolutely. One of the first things I took them to with their parents, we went to Salem, uh, Massachusetts, a couple of years ago when they were literally like six months old. And I was um, intrigued by whether Laurie Cabot, of course, who was the Dukakis, witch, national witch of... of, uh, of massachusetts um and i found her she was giving some readings in another i guess she had a book shop she gave that up but and I, because i wanted them to meet her and they for years they thought we we did meet her. We did meet the official witch of Massachusetts. But now they say they think they didn't meet her. But I try very hard in talking about this, even with children, to talk about what the positive messages are of the Wiccan community. And that it's just as perfect as any other tradition they might find A liking to. I wish there were more books, maybe there are, uh, that express to children the strength of this community. One of the things that happened uh, at the time that you and I were working together. There was a faith-based initiative, which I didn't like because it was giving money to religious groups. But the director at the time was a guy named Jim Toohey. And Jim Toohey once said on a plane ride, somebody asked him about Wiccans. And he said, I- I've, never, I've never heard of any Wiccans helping anybody because, I mean, it takes a lot of strength to do that. And I, why would they do that? And of course, the Wiccan community blasted him and talked about the vast amounts of money that was given, because that's what you do. You're trying to help people. You're not trying to turn them into frogs. But Jim Toohey (laughs) was just, I mean, he was, it was an awful thing. It's kind of like the IRS thing. Whether you like it or not, that churches are getting money from the federal government, certainly they should not be giving that money on the basis of uh, what their weird misinformation is about what happens. So as we leave here, talk a little about Wiccan charities and what is the importance of that for your community?
3: Yes, and I remember well that um, issue with TUI, and I did manage to get a, um, all I'll say, through some networking contacts, <laughs> a phone number for his personal assistant and gave him some corrective feedback. <laughs> <through> <laughs> that. It was Thanksgiving Eve when he said we weren't charitable. I mean, what is that about? And there are Wiccans and other pagans that are involved with helping the homeless, uh, food pantries, Circle Sanctuary itself has um, been involved with various charity Work throughout our existence since 1974. And one of the wonderful things that's happened within the last couple decades is increasingly interreligious connections are happening um, to help people in need and not only responding to natural disasters and Mm -hmm. human-created disasters. And I guess if you look at climate change, uh, there's a human in all of that, regardless of what some people would like to put (laughs) forth into the universe. So I do think one of the wonderful things is, is we aren't really looking for converts, but we are looking to be able to collaborate with people of many backgrounds and paths to work for a better world, not just locally and nationally, but globally. And now that humankind is starting to go off planet Um, Cosmically. Cosmically. (laughs) If people realized we're about loving nature, preserving nature, and not only helping humans, but... Um, caring for endangered species, plants and animals. And um, we have something called the Circle Sanctuary Green Faith Circle. It's part of an international interfaith group called Green Faith. And we are very much involved in trying to do some public education and motivation to collaborate to work for a healthier planet. And I'm so thankful to be able to connect with you again again, Barry. Terrific. We've had many adventures, <laughs> many. close encounters with bigots, as well as some successes Absolutely. and actually things that looked impossible have, came together. So it's I'm just ext- so thankful. And one of an- my most powerful memories is when you and I dedicated <laughs> the very first yeah. interfaith gravestone at Arlington National Cemetery on July 4th, 2007. Christian cross on one side, pinnacle on the other. I cherish that memory, not only because the pinnacle could finally get on a government-issued stone, but to me, it was a real symbol of finally being included. And I'm so thankful for your years of work, Ms. not Bell, only I appreciate uh, with things that we've been doing, but for people of many different backgrounds and paths. And it's so, what a great treat at this solemn and <laughs> Halloween time to be able
2: to um,
3: share some information about our journeys along the way. Absolutely. Many thanks for the right blessings.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I can tell from I, when David's here, he said, don't look at the comments from the g- audience. But I, I have been and I can tell that uh, one woman just said uh, she's. she said uh, she just, oh, well, I can't find it. Maybe that's why I shouldn't use it. But I really appreciate it. And uh, I know you continue to work with Americans United for separation of church and state. I thank you for that as well. And uh, may you have a wonderful series of holiday celebrations.
3: Well, thank you so much. Yes, I'm on the Faith Advisory Council of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. I'm so glad to do that interreligious support, and it's great to be part of this show.
2: Many thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, Selena.
0: You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.